some of us find ourselves on center stage, making our living by releasing the trumpet's golden tones into the air, captivating audiences worldwide. Others among us may be more prone to engage in spirited discussions about its intricacies, its legendary players, and the unforgettable moments that have shaped its journey. But no matter our background or ability, Trumpet Dynamics is our harmonious sanctuary, a podcast that tells the story of the trumpet in the words of those who play it. A haven where we explore every facet of this wondrous instrument, delving deep into the minds and hearts of those whose energy breathes life into a simple piece of plumbing. Join us as we venture through time, tracing the trumpet's storied origins from its humble beginnings to its modern grandeur in orchestras, jazz clubs, recording studios, university halls, and beyond. Through insightful interviews and captivating anecdotes, We'll hear the wisdom and experiences of virtuosos, teachers, historians and enthusiasts alike. And now, let the symphony of trumpet dynamics commence with our founder and host, James D. Newcomb. Welcome, welcome, welcome to part two of my conversation with the great Vinny Shashelsky. Nashville-based trumpeter who has appeared in thousands upon thousands of recordings, entrepreneur, founder of the uh, great band Vinny and the Hitmen, and actually Vinny gave me permission to play one of his songs, well, not his songs, but one of the songs uh, recorded by his group, and I'm going to play to play that at the very end of this podcast. So, good stuff. I, I, I can't... <laughs> emphasize strongly enough that this is really, really deep conversation and goes way beyond the surface of of trumpet and notes and scales, things like that. It, it's really, really good. Um, before I get into it, uh, another reminder that I have a book, audio book available. It is called Pinpoint Persuasion. A Practical Guide to Ethically Manipulating People in Your Environment to Get What You Want When You Want It. That is available for free at pinpoint-persuasion.com. Yes, you have to give me your email address. This is how I make my living. You'll forgive me for doing my job. If you want to opt out of the email subscription immediately after subscribing so you can listen to the Audiobook, that's fine. I don't mind that. But this is just the game. Nothing is ever free, is it? <laughs> All right. Uh, pinpoint-persuasion.com. And also, I want to mention that digital media is my business. If you have a website that you want to build or you want to maybe improve the aesthetics or the, the depth of the message of your website, then that's what I do best way to get the ball rolling on that is just send me an email, james at jamesdnewcomb.com, and let's just see what happens. Send me an email, send me what is on your mind, what you want to accomplish, and we'll get the ball rolling with that. All right, here is part two of my conversation with Vinny Shashelsky, who you can find on the web at trumpetvinny.com, V-I-N-N-I-E. Vinny, we have been going on for the better part of an hour now. And you and I have established what I would say is a good rapport. We've established a nice rapport with our listeners, too. And so we're all committed to this interview at this point. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier in our time together, and that was your teacher saying there are 
good days, and then there are great days. And I know that your teacher was talking about there are good days in music, and then there are great days in music and having the right mindset regarding your response to how things are going with your trumpet playing or with how the music is going. But perhaps maybe the teacher had something more in mind when he was saying that. Perhaps he was talking more along the lines of there are good days and there are bad things that happen to us during a day or maybe a period of days, maybe a week, a year, whatever the case may be. And so much of that is our response to these things that happen to us that determine whether or not it is a good day or it is a great day. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. Of course they are. They happen to everybody. But how is it? How is our response to what happens, good or bad? Tell us a little bit about, in your view, how we could relate to this, what your teacher shared with you. Thank you for bringing that up. It's, that's one of, the, one of the things I enjoy talking about the most because it hasn't always been that way for me. <clears throat> my, my parents gave me the tools to be a, a good human being, be the person that I am now and continue to become by example and by telling me the right things to do and the wrong things to do. And with regard to personal and professional behavior, I watched my father, who was a very hard worker, incredible work ethic in construction for years. And then he became, when he retired in his fifties, he became a world famous wildfowl carving artist. And that's what he did. So we were finally on the same page as far as freelancing goes. After he produced these beautiful pieces of art and somebody took an interest in them and gave him money for them. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. He would sit in his carving studio in the basement of either the upstairs or the basement of their homes. The last one was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for about 17 years. And he would carve and watch C-SPAN on TV and complain about the government to himself because nobody else wanted to listen to him. <laughs> Although if you were in his presence, you did listen to who you should vote for and why he would spit on the envelope when he sent in his property taxes to the state of Pennsylvania. <laughs> I said, Dad, you're just making the mailman mad. I don't know. It doesn't matter, man. It's a matter of principle. Okay. Whatever you say, man. But he was a good dude. He passed away a couple of years ago, which was tough. He had a long battle with cancer. And, and I was in a session on a Tuesday and got a call in the middle of the session from, and I said, what's going on? She said, I can't tell you what to do, but if it were me, I would get here as soon as possible. I flew up the next day and he passed the next day. He waited for all the kids and mom to be together. And that, and listen, man, death and grief and all that stuff, that's, that's part, it just sucks, right? Because now I can't call my dad on the phone anymore, but the way that you process it and the way you get through it. One of the things I've always said about being a positive person is you don't have to be 100% positive or 100% great or 100% good all the time. If you can get to 51%, then by any standards, you would be considered a positive person. It only has to be 51%, 5149, because life happens, stuff happens, and it sucks. And, and you're right. It's the way that you... It's the way that you respond to people and situations and weather and life and just chop issues, whatever it is. So 
I think that's I think that's really super important. One of the other things I think is really important is health, keeping yourself healthy. You and I have talked about before, but I for most of my life I've struggled with my weight. When I was when I got my divorce in the late nineties, I decided to go on a health kick because my doctor stood in front of me and said, You're fat and you're gonna die. I weighed three hundred and thirteen pounds. And I've lost and kept off largely kept off a hundred pounds for a number of years. I did it slow. My first big athletic event was a sprint triathlon. I trained and I rode and I swam a mile four days a week. And I finished the race dead last in my category, which was called the Clydesdales. Because <laughs> at the time I was, yeah, I was still 275 pounds. But my mom came and whistled me across the finish line. I didn't die and I didn't crap my pants. Those were my only goals. Make my mom proud, my family and my friends and the people that were important to me. Don't crap your pants and don't die. So that was that worked out pretty well because I'm still here to talk about it. And again, like we talked about <clears throat> several times, I think during the conversation, water to me is absolutely the most important and vital thing. Drinking water is the most important and vital thing that you can do for your body to keep it functioning on a high level. I drink 160 ounces of water a day. You're supposed to drink half of your body weight. So that's pretty easy to figure out. And for trumpet players in particular, and lead players or people who play with a little extra pressure or love, as I like to call it, use their octave key a little bit more. It keeps your chops plump and keeps them from flattening out when you drink it. But when you're well hydrated, so are your chops and your endurance is going to be better. There's a ton of things that come from being dehydrated that are very, very bad. You do not want to mess around with that. Water is super important. I, I have a 40 ounce bottle that I fill up three or four times a day. And then with some of my other meals, I have smaller glasses, but I track everything. I also track all my food. I have an app and I add everything that I eat all day long in this app. And it keeps me on track as far as what they call macronutrients. That's protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Currently, I would say I'm on the low side of carbohydrates because it just works for me. It just, when my body goes into what they call ketosis, I function at a very high level. I'm not hungry. I don't eat a ton. And what I do eat, I really enjoy. I don't have a hankering for sweets, sugar, any of that kind of stuff. And so it's, that works for me. And that, that is a lot like trumpet playing, James. Vinny, I'm sorry to interrupt, but could you just oh, yeah, share sure. the name of that app that you mentioned earlier? The name of the app is My Fitness Pal, and they have a free version. My Fitness Pal. They have a free version, and there's hundreds of thousands of foods. If you put in there, I don't know, chicken bowl from uh, Chipotle, there's hundreds of entries, and you find the one that matches up with yours the best. You're still guessing, but weigh all my food before I eat it and the whole nine yards. And you can put it in there and you can be exact, really exact with your numbers. And if you hit your numbers, you're going to be healthy. I recommend getting somebody who really knows what they're doing, somebody who has a doctorate or master's in exercise physiology and a nutrition, and just pay them to do an analysis on you and set you up with your numbers. And then after that, it's pretty easy. I've tracked, I want to say four or 5,000 days in a row. It's been, yeah. It's been 20 years. Yeah, it's really remarkable. So maybe it's not that many, but it is 
It's got to be four or 5,000. Anyway, that's just me being obsessive. <laughs> this is you being consistent. And look, the results speak for themselves. I think that you're a very positive person. Thank you very much. It's the exact same discipline. Diet and exercise are the exact same discipline that you use to practice the trumpet. Because sometimes, even though it's a good day or a great day, it's really not that much fun. I'm a voracious practitioner because I have to be, and we'll talk about why in a bit, speaking of health. But I feel the need to practice every day. I take one day off every nine, 10 days. And when I come back, of course, I feel like Superman for a couple of days. But I have a routine I've been working on for 30 years, 30 plus years. And it all puts me in a place after I've warmed up and I have a shorter warm up now. <clears throat> after I've warmed up, I know exactly what's going to come out the end of the horn. So if I'm going to a session, I know, I, I already know that this is going to be good and this is going to be good and this is going to be great. And it may take me a little while to get this going. So I think that same discipline that you use to go to the practice room or practice every day or have a pocket trumpet in your car or practice at lunch while you're at work or whatever the deal is, it it's really pretty amazing how those things cross over to health and exercise. So I think those things are really important to live a positive life. When I was heavy, I would walk in front of a mirror or a piece of glass or whatever, probably a hundred times a day, just passing by. I hated what I saw. I hated myself, which then by osmosis was my attitude toward everybody else. When I first moved to Nashville, man, I was not a positive person. I was positive about one thing. I hated myself. I was angry and I was going to make everybody else hate me and be angry with me too. And it did a pretty good job for a number of years until through a series of events, the divorce being one of them and losing weight being another, just turn things around. So if you and I had met 30 years ago, we may not be having the same conversation. We would definitely not be having the same conversation because it's, it's a metamorphosis, which I'm happy to be a part of and really be the impetus for myself. I was 17 years old 30 years ago. Nice. <laughs> no, we would not be having the same conversation. I can say with 100% certainty. I'm not saying that I'm wise now. I'm just saying I'm a little bit wiser now than I was then. As far as the health thing, there are things you can control, your water intake and how much food you put in your pie hole. And there are things you can't. My dad died of cancer. He had bone cancer and colon cancer. Colon cancer is curable. Bone cancer is, it's a death sentence. When you get diagnosed, the doctor says, this is terminal. There's nothing you can do about it. We can make you comfortable for the rest of your life, which will be very short. Those kind of situations, then, if you've been practicing all your life, trying to look at the bright, walking on the sunny side of the street, trying to look at the bright side. Listen, man, when somebody dies or your house burns down or you have a hurricane, which we're going through right now with Florida, I'm thinking about all those people and sending my people down there, positive vibes. <clears throat> it's uh, It just sucks. You know, there's no getting around it. But you still got to live and you got to take those thoughts and let them come into your mind and whirl around for a little while and then do your best in a gentle way to just let them go out the other side. My stuff comes in the right side of my brain and hangs there for a while. And then I filter through it and maybe do a little breathing. And then it just goes out. They're just thoughts. Creates a lot of fear. Anything you do from a position of fear is going to be unhealthy for you. So 
figure it out and don't make any big decisions based on, oh, if I don't do this, this will happen or this might happen or this might happen. I've been guilty of that my whole life and meditating, being married to a very solid, amazing human being, Beth, my wife, she's the best thing that God ever put in my path, period. And I'm glad I wasn't dumb and let, didn't let her get away. So that's really good. We've, we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary here in November 9th. And as far as those things that you can't control, now I'll back up and say my dad smoked for about 45 years, maybe 50. He smoked from the time he was a kid, before he was a teenager. He was already, because he thought it was cool, it was the 50s and he was the Fonz. If he hadn't smoked, maybe things would have been different. He had throat cancer and beat that. And then, but it just ravages your body. So do everything you can to do, to treat your body correctly. And then you're just rolling the dice after that. Some people who are super healthy still get cancer. But if you know that you're doing your best, then you can't look back and say, God, if I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't happen. And that's just, that's negative thinking, living in the past and not being present. But when it comes to things that you can't control, when I was 25 years old, I'm 60 now, I was diagnosed with a condition called syringomyelia, which is a fancy name for a cyst inside of your spinal cord called a syrinx. Mine happens to be about three inches long, and it was about the size of a pencil. And it was in my upper neck here. And so basically what happened was I was on a gig and I used to hold my sneezes in, but that kind of thing. Don't do that. But as a result of that, we're setting up a band I was playing with. We're setting up at this club and I sneezed and on the back of my head right here, about the size of a quarter on the left side in the back, right next to the spine, I got like an electrical shock. It was so strange. The size of a quarter, just like somebody took a, a car battery, put it on the bottom of a tree that didn't have any leaves over it. And you could see it go up through all the branches. That's what it felt like to me. And the next morning when I woke up, that spot was completely numb. Completely, 100% numb. I thought it was strange, but I didn't think much of it. And then a couple days later, again with the band, I sneezed again. And that shock feeling went from that spot on the back of my head all the way around the front of the left side of my head all the way down to my neck. And I was like, crap, man, this is bad. We've got the ambulance, thought I was having a stroke or something. The trombone player's dad was a really good doctor. So we immediately went to him. The next morning I woke up and everything on the left side of my head was numb, straight down the middle. If you drew a line from the top of my head down to the floor, everything on the left side, at that time it was my face, couple days later, this all happened within about a week and a half. And they've got me in a neck brace and they're checking me for epilepsy and all this guy. I'm at Johns Hopkins, which is a famous, a really good hospital, teaching hospital in Baltimore. The next time it happened, it went all the way down my body, all the way to my toes. And the next day I woke up 25 years old. Everything on the left side of my body was numb. Like when you're sitting cross leg on the floor to quote Chicago, and you stand up and your foot's asleep and you fall down because it's asleep. That's what my body feels like everything on the left-hand side. So straight down the middle of my chops, my eye 
and I have some spots that are worse than others. Back of my hand is worse. My cheek, my left cheek up under my eye, but I can't feel the left side of my chops. I thought it was the end of my career. They did an operation. It was only the second time they'd ever done the operation. They put a drain in it. It was hugely traumatic. I just didn't know what was going on here. I was just starting in my career and came back, figured out through a series of trial and error how to play the trumpet again and haven't looked back since. So what they did was they did the operation to stop the progress of the symptoms, but it would not give me back the feeling in my face or body on the left-hand side. And so I, for years, I kept my eye on like spinal cord research when Christopher Reeves and Nick Bonacani, his son had an accident, broke his neck and they had been making some really incredible progress with regard to that. And two years ago, I went to a neurologist hoping for 30 years, I had hoped in the back of my mind that maybe they can fix me. You know what I mean? And so I went in, I've been living with this for 30, 32 years, whatever it is. And I said, Hey man, I told him the story and I said, I'm really super excited that you're going to give me some good news. And the doctor looked up at me and said, you're never going to get your feeling back in the left side. Just chop me down like a samurai, like a samurai, just chop, cutting your head off. And I got verklempt. I was upset because I had put so much hope into this situation and very quickly, and this is where the good days and the great days come into play. Because if so, you've been living with this condition, imagine you can't feel anything on the left side of your body and it's pressure. So like James, you can see this, but you see, I'm picking up this little toothpick. That is a, that's just a miracle. When I first got out of the hospital, I couldn't walk because I couldn't feel where my foot was hitting the ground. So I was in a wheelchair. Oh, it was amazing. And I slowly learned. Also with the chops. So I had played a week before. I hadn't played my trumpet for a week. I knew where the mouthpiece was supposed to sit based on how it feels on the right side. And then I developed this technique where I stick my tongue straight out of the middle of my aperture into the mouthpiece and I pull the mouthpiece onto my chops and that's how I know it's set correctly. I know it's bizarre. And so if anybody's got anything like this, even if it's temporary from dental work or anything like that's the trick, stick your tongue in your mouthpiece, bring it back. Even when your whole body do this. So you learn where it sits on your chops. And if you ever run into anything like this, that that's a, it's been a lifesaver for me. Absolute lifesaver. Now, are you still living with this condition to this day? Yes. I cannot feel it. You can't feel anything. No, I can't. It's, I say that, but it's like I can feel hot and cold. And if I get a cut on the, le on the left side of my body, I can feel that. I can feel pain. I can certainly feel the nerve stuff because sometimes I get a little neuropathy where it's tingly. And, but basically, if you shook my right hand, we're going to church or we're meeting for the first time in person. We will do this. We will shake hands first and then we'll hug. But We'll shake hands with the right hand and it feels like a good handshake. I don't have a fish handshake. It's firm. And it's, you know how my dad taught me how to be a man, right? In a non-toxic way. <laughs> On the left-hand side, I can't tell how much pressure I'm applying to your hand. Having done thousands and thousands of contemporary Christian and gospel records, mostly gospel, I've been in prayer circles with people where I've had to hold their hand 
with my left hand. And all I can think about, I can't concentrate on what the guy who's saying the prayer says. All I can think about is don't put too much pressure. Don't put too much pressure to the point where my hand, I get so intense about it. My hand cramps up. So like for the first year of playing the trumpet, I would look down and my knuckles on my left hand wrapped around the valve section would be just white because I was squeezing it so hard. So over the years, what I've been able to do is much like with trumpet, I had somebody say, John Daniel said this to me the other day. He said, I want you to practice and find out what the least amount of effort you need to use to produce this particular note or phrase is. I think Wayne Bergeron says 70%. Always, that's my mantra. And when I heard him say that, and I don't know what context it was in, but he was teaching. He was, he said, you never go 100%, never blow your brains out completely. If you can sit right there at 70%, and it works for me, man. If I'm in a session and there's a real boogery lick and I can't get it, two or three times in a row, I will stop and say 70%. Put the horn on my face and it comes out 99 times out of 100. It's absolutely amazing. So anyway, so I tell you all that, not to get any sympathy, not to get any, go to Trumpet Vinny on Facebook or on Instagram or Vinny and the Hitman, and you'll be able to hear that some of the notes that come out of the end of my horn are a joyful noise. Some of them are bombastic and hideously ugly, which I take pride in. But uh, I can play the trumpet, and I am an absolute walking miracle. I tell you that to say this. If you're struggling with the trumpet, and you're whole-bodied, if you can feel your face, and you can feel your left hand, and you can walk in a straight line and have good balance, you're ahead of the game. Because you never know what's going on. To see me, if you walked up to me, you would be like, "Let's." He's a little chunky, but he's 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 in good shape, and I can't see anything wrong with him. Except he's a trumpet player, and he's got that personality. So I'm just saying, there's somebody sitting out there right now that's struggling, that's saying, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to give up, or I'll never get better, or this and that and the other thing." But I'm going to tell you that with the thimbleful of talent that the universe and God gave to me. I have stretched and practiced and needed and just, I've gotten absolutely every possible thing out of that little bit of talent that I've gotten. So if you're one of those natural players that walked into a trumpet closet when you were a kid and came out playing double C's, here's what I want you to do. Shut up. (laughs) I don't want you to complain because there are so many people that are in I won't, I don't want to say worse positions because you know what, this is the hand of cards that I was dealt. And I don't know if I would want it any other way. I don't know if I would be here in my personal journey or my professional journey. If I was a whole bodied player, I don't, there's no way of knowing that, but I do know these, this is the hand of cards that I was dealt and I'm going to play them to the best of my ability. So if you're struggling out there, here's the other thing. I love talking about trumpets and trumpet playing, I very rarely charge for lessons. If anybody wants to hang on Zoom like we're doing and just talk through some of these things, because like we were talking about before, trumpet is 90% mental. When you put that thing up on your face, you're either 100% confident that you can play anything or a variation of everything down from that. So to recap on that, 
good days and great days. If you can get yourself to being a 51 percenter, <laughs> which is not, it's not a real high goal, but if you're a 51, yeah, if you're a 51 percenter, then when you miss a note or when you can't play an etude or when the chromatic scale is just not working for you, or you miss that high G in a concert or whatever the deal is, you're going to be able to recover from that much more quickly because you realize it's the trumpet. The trumpet can be challenging. There are so many outside influences. If you're standing in a big band section with five trumpets and five trombones and five saxes in a rhythm section, there's 18 other, 17 other players, 18 other players that are all making musical decisions that can affect you just like you are for them. So you realize that the Waynes of the world are few and far between. The Waynes and the Jeff Baileys and the Preston Baileys and the Steve Patricks, they're few and far between to be able to have that facility and that kind of 1,000% accuracy, in tune, beautiful sound, stylistically correct. If you're not one of those people, then you have to give yourself some grace. I would take a mental note. This is what I do when I'm in a session. A couple of years ago, we were doing this thing. Steve and I were on, Steve Patrick and I, who's somebody you should interview. Steve Patrick and I were on a session, and it was a gospel session. And there was a lick that was just, it looked like a fly landed in an inkwell and walked across the page. And it ended on G sharps, an octave above the top of the staff. It was like, no, whatever. It was a 16th note jump from the G sharp on the top of the staff to two G sharps an octave above. It was hard. It was, it was real. I forget the point of the thing because I'm taken back to that session. Oh, I know what it was. We missed it a couple times. Thankfully, it was one of the rare mistakes that somebody else in the section made. And then I made it. And I realized that it was something that I needed to work on. So I put interval studies that I made up myself, just the chromatic interval studies, two octaves into my daily routine so that the next time that comes up, I start on low C. And then when you see that on the paper, the next time you've practiced that thousands of times, maybe 10,000 at this point, And in the back of your mind, I got this. I'm not even going to worry about that. And again, that all goes to, I'm going to take this situation that was tough, turn it into a positive because I'm going to add it to my routine and I'm going to nail it the next time it pops up in front of me. So it's just really a kind of a general way of thinking and making that turn. I was online last night and a trumpet player, I'm gathering a younger trumpet player, maybe a comeback trumpet player was making a comment. He, he said, I've always had trouble with the upper register, but the other day, yesterday or today when I was practicing, I was doing my long tones and I was really focused and I went to play a G on top of the staff and a C above that popped out. And then I repeated it several times and any advice, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And a lot of people chimed in in a really positive way because a lot of times with range, it's not when you're going for it, it's when you're not. Sometimes you'll go and you'll be aiming for a high C and you hit the partial above it or two partials above it, you hit the D or the E and it's wow. And to me, what that means is, okay, there's a school that could say, 
you need to be accurate. You need to be accurate. You need to be accurate. But what that means to me is the work that you're doing is paying off. Your chops are getting stronger. And that's what I said. I said, this should be a celebration because if it's something that you've wanted to do for a long time and you've done it, now you know how it is. It's like riding a bike. Now you know what a high C feels like, and you'll be able to repeat that. There was another trumpet player that said, and he got lambasted pretty hard, going for a G, missing it, and hitting a C is nothing to brag about. And I thought, man, what a jerk. I'm so upset with the guy. He's a friend of mine. I'm so upset with him. I haven't said anything to him. I won't tell you what his name is, but golly, man, here this kid is so excited about this accomplishment. I don't remember the first time I hit a high G. I remember the first time I hit a double C and I, I almost peed my pants. I was so excited and I wasn't going for it. I was going to play a high G on the end of a song and this nice, pretty double C came out, sustained. I held it as long as I wanted. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And then muscle memory takes over and you can repeat it. So I don't believe in shame at all. I think it's a wasted emotion, but whatever that guy needs that made that comment, that negative comment, whatever he needs in his life, I hope he gets it so that the next time he can be a little bit more cool with this person who obviously was thrilled to death to be playing his first high C. It's one of those examples where months, maybe years of effort just manifest and you don't, and you can't predict when it will happen. You don't know when it will happen, but it just, you know, those scales, the long tones, all those fundamental things that, that you do over and over with seemingly very little to show for it, all of a sudden, it's like they just all of a sudden show up and you can hit that note. Yep. Yeah. And if you can somehow, if you can somehow talk yourself into, not making it the end all and be all of your trumpet playing, whatever it is. If, if it's getting Petrushka up to tempo and doing it in one breath, or if it's playing a double C, or if it's working on your multiple tone, whatever issue, pedal tones, whatever it is, it's going to change your playing, but it's not going to change the world. And you know what I'm saying? It's just, we're not standing over somebody with their heart in our hand. We're not curing cancer. We're not doing any of that stuff. I think music should be taken seriously because it's an important part of a lot of people's lives. I always said, when I've talked about it with my contemporary Christian, mostly gospel, when I've talked about it with my gospel brothers, this is what I say. So I'm a very small part of these records. So they've got a whole rhythm section, a giant choir, an incredibly gifted vocalist, producer, engineer, A&R guy. I'm a small, teeny tiny part of this, but this is my job and this is how I look at it. So imagine this is just with contemporary gospel, although it can go across a lot of different musical genres. You're married and you have five kids and it's 7.30 in the morning. Everybody's getting up on a Sunday morning and you have a nine o'clock service with a 30 minute drive. So you got an hour to get all your knuckleheads in your house, fed, dressed, somewhat presentable, in the car, and get over to church. The youngest doesn't want to get up and is whining, and 15, 20 minutes goes 
by and the teenage girl is in the bathroom taking too much time and the boy and the nan, I mean, your wife is crabby and you haven't even had your first cup of coffee and you're just generally pissed off. Okay. But you get everybody into the car and you're on your way to church and you're on time, but you're still, you're still angry, but you put on one of these records that I worked on and that takes you from the time you leave the house you listen to that to the favorite record to the Kirk Franklin or the Donnie McClurkin or the Yolanda or the whoever you're listening to. And by the time you get to church, you're calm. Everybody's singing along. Everybody's ready to go to church and feast and worship and fellowship and the whole nine yards. You're a completely different person than you were when you were swatting your two-year-old on the hind parts to get him into the car. That's my gig. That is my gig. And I think that's really important. And music, think about you driving along. My wife and I, we take really long trips. We have a long trip this weekend. 10 hours, we're going to Pittsburgh. The last couple of hours, she and I always, when we're tired and goofy and really sick of sitting in the car, we start singing Christmas carols, no matter what time of year it is. And it makes us laugh till we cry. And it takes our mind off the fact that our butts and legs hurt so bad. And so music is a really important part of life. It's not, I don't think it's as important as somebody who can take a scalpel and and cut into you and fix you up. I don't think it's as important as running a country, but I do think that even when you watch the TV shows, the first thing the surgeon does when he's getting ready to do a 12 hour procedure is turn the music on. Could be classical, could be jazz, could be pop, R&B, disco, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Playlist for surgery. It marks time. You know that when you get to the fifth tune, the next tune is going to be Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you're 38 minutes in, and you got another whatever it is. It's just such a gift to be able to, be able to do those things. And again, that's part of, if you think about what your music is doing for people, that helps you to be a positive person because you're helping in the way that you can. The thing that I tell myself when I'm having this conversation, usually with myself, is this is not court. This is not surgery. It's trumpet. It's music. And of course, it's important, like you said. It has its purpose. It it definitely has a very valuable use in society. But at the end of the day, what's really at stake? Maybe you have to redo a recording session. Maybe the recording of pictures at an exhibition has a blemish. You can live with that because who really lost anything when something like that goes wrong? And for me, I want to be around people that, of course, they take it seriously and they take themselves seriously, but they're not too serious that you just lose the joy out of playing and making music. And those are the guys... Those are the players that you want to hang out with. You know what I mean? They, there's, gosh, man, in the Nashville, any session, any gig or session scene anywhere, LA, New York, any of the bigger towns, even the small towns, there's a lot of politicking and there's a lot of this guy did this or this player did this, so we're not going to let him do this and that and the other thing. It's just, there's so much stuff that you, that in addition to the playing that you have to, that you have to be at least aware of you may not take part in it but you have to be aware of it it's just 
you want to be next to the guys that are not taking themselves too seriously. You want to be next to the guys that are cheering for you. And later in late in my later in my career, in the fall, I want to say middle fall of my career, having booked three or four sessions for next week when I get home from our vacation, I want to be sitting next to somebody in the studio. If I'm going to be in there for eight hours, I want it to be somebody that I can hang with, somebody that I enjoy talking to, somebody who I know is not going to be a jerk. You know what I mean? Because everybody has their moments, certainly. I play with a trombone player on a fairly regular basis, and he gets real down on himself if he misses even just once. He gets real down on himself. I'm like, dude, I tell him every time, you're safe here. You're here because you're a great player, and you add to the music, not just the notes that you're playing, but the vibe and the joy and the happiness that comes out the end of your part, the energy. And you can hear that on the tracks. You can really, if you listen, if you go over to Trumpet Vinny on, especially on Instagram, I have all these little blue screens. And basically what it is, it's a 15 or 20 or 30 second snippet of the session I did that day. No rhythm section, no vocals. All it is the horns. And they sound really good. And if you can sit there and listen to most of them and not be like, God, I feel better. I feel better, or I need to go practice, or I could do that better than that guy, or whatever your emotion is. You know what I mean? It's I want it to be I want it to be a joyful experience for the listener. I want it to bring them healing and peace and all the good stuff. I think it's I think it's really important. Not taking it too seriously, cheering for your section mates. If somebody knows that I have, did you ever see that iPhone clip? There's three or four guys, maybe five guys, sitting around Wayne. And he's doing an overdub on just a cherry pick high A. And it's excruciatingly long. You can hear the track in the headphones just slightly. It's excruciatingly long and everybody's got their phone out. They're, they're busting his chops and they're filming him. And he takes his breath and he goes and just annihilates prettiest A I've ever heard in my life. And everybody's and then the engineer comes over the talk back into his headphones and says, yeah, that's good. We can tune that later. <laughs> they were all just, it was perfectly in tune and perfectly executed. And it was awesome. But all of those guys, not the one of those guys in that room was going, miss it, miss none of them. They were all going, come on, Wayno, hit this thing, show everybody what you got. And he did. That's where I want to be with that, with those people. And I want to be one of those people for other folks too. You know what I mean? A cheerleader. I have a question for you related to something that you've already spoken about a couple of minutes ago. Before I ask the question though, I want to make a couple of shameless plugs for my own show. Okay. The first is you were talking about a fitness coach and an episode that you would like, Vinny, is with Beth Peruka, great lead trumpeter. And she had a major injury with her lip and she couldn't play. She had a quick trumpet and she became like the most on fire fitness coach that you'll ever see. She is unbelievable. Beth Peruka. And I'll have that on the show notes. The show notes for this episode is trumpetdynamics.com forward slash trumpet Vinny. Forward slash trumpet Vinny and it's V-I-N-I-E. All right. So this will have all of the resources we've talked about, the Fitness Pal app. Everything we talked about, we're going to have it on the show notes. Here's my question. 
we talked about when you have this injury, this, am I saying it correctly? Is it syringomyelia? Syringomyelia? Myelia. Okay. So you get this when you're 25 years old. And you mentioned that you were sneezing, like holding in your sneezes. And I think you mentioned to me when we were not recording that you were living not the most wholesome life at that time of your life. So take us to that, take us to that period of time. And also mention your doctor telling you have to lose a hundred pounds or else, you know, you're going to have your demise is imminent. And then you go about that, but not, you don't go on this crash diet where you lose a hundred pounds in the space of a month, because that's just as unhealthy as having a weight. Talk to us about the very, it seems like it was a very deliberate and very intentional manner in which you both recovered from this syringomyelia and also you lost that weight in a way that you could keep it off. I think those two, thank you for bringing that up. I think those two things are super, super important in my journey. I wasn't super fired up about it right away when the injury, when it was diagnosed. I was 25 years old. I had been in the band that I was playing in, which is called The Heat and the Cold Sweat Horns. It was a killer R&B band in the 80s, mid-80s. We all went to college together. There was another band, and we merged. We were doing Chicago, Earth, Wind & Fire, BS&T, Motown, just all those super crazy. It was a tower power. It was a pack show. It was a lot of playing. And we always did three one-hour sets or 445. So it was a lot. Being 23, 24, 25 years old, I, as we talked about, you feel at that point, you're, you feel invincible. I feel great. Nothing's ever going to happen to me. I can eat a whole pizza and wake up the next day and be fine. A whole pepperoni pizza or whatever the deal is. I quickly, because of alcohol, started to gain weight. I've never considered myself an alcoholic. I have taken years, 18 months at a time without a drink. But when I do get in the habit of drinking, I enjoy it. And I did a lot enjoy it back then. Just being honest, I was never much of a pot smoker, but it was the 80s. And there was another trendy chemical amusement that I enjoyed quite a lot. Actually, I I didn't really enjoy it, but I loved the smell of it. (laughs) And I was doing, I was just doing dumb things. It was just years of that. I don't think any of that really contributed to the syringomyelia because it's a genetic disorder, but it did slow the healing process because I wasn't as healthy as I could be for the, for the operation. And then afterwards, I remember a week afterwards playing down at the beach at the paddock in Ocean City, Maryland, and coming home afterwards and having a beer or two or eight or however many it was a week after the operation. Contrary to that, when I was 50, it was 2018, so that would have been five years ago. So I was in in mid-50s. I had a complete left shoulder replacement, traditional left shoulder replacement, because my shoulders were just out. I did it on my birthday, 2018. The three months going up to that, I rode as much or more than I had in for as long as I could remember. I also practiced voraciously. Oh my God, I was doing four or five hours a day because I knew that once I got to that operation, 
first of all, I'd be out of pocket for days because I'd be recovering from the, the pain and the drugs and all that kind of stuff. And then it would be difficult because I'd be in an isolated sling for almost four weeks. I asked my doctor, I said, I want to be able to play my trumpet right away. And he said, yeah, sure. And just take it easy. It was an outpatient procedure. I came home the day of the surgery and with the help of a little apparatus, a little wooden apparatus that my friend Mike Haynes lent me, I was playing long tones on the day of my surgery. I was so high, but I thought it was the right thing to do. And, and then PT and practice on January 23rd, I did a live video record. So we recorded a record live and we did a video of it. It's with a guy named Mike Hicks and it's some of the best work I've ever done. So within a month I was back playing and it was, it was both technical and high at the same time. And I was really proud of that. So the juxtapositions of being in your mid twenties and being a bonehead and being in your mid fifties, still being a bonehead, but a smarter bonehead, it's super important to keep yourself in shape. There's a trumpet player who came onto my radar three or four years ago and he stood in front of a big band and I think he was doing a Doc Severinsen tune. And this young man who was probably 22 or 23 at the time, easily one of the most gifted trumpet players I've ever seen. He just played the snot out of that piece of music. He was so great, so wonderful, really solid. But he was probably 6'1 or 6'2, and if he wasn't 500 pounds, I'll be a monkey's uncle. And I said to myself, I got to reach out to this kid because nobody's ever going to know that he's a wonderful trumpet player because he's going to die. And I did. We talked. I sent him a set of bicycle pedals so he could sit while he was practicing and bicycle pedaling. And then after that, I pinged him a couple of times. We stayed in contact, but it didn't stick. And honestly, man, the thing for me, I would still be over 300 pounds if my doctor, who I trusted, hadn't said to me, Vinny, you're fat and you're going to die. You weigh 313 pounds. You need to lose 60 pounds quickly. And then you need to lose a total of 100 pounds before you before you're really going to be out of the woods here. And, and so that's what I took to doing slowly with diet and exercise, tons of water and, uh, and got her done. It's of paramount importance in life. Have you followed up with this other young fellow? Do you ha have any idea what happened to him that you mentioned? I know he's still playing and he's doing well. I think he's graduating this year and I hope the flip side of the coin is my friend Jack up in Cincinnati. Jack is a really wonderfully gifted lead player, ran on the larger side of things. And I, we had a, we sat down and hung out and I told him a little bit about my journey and we talked trumpet. He went through an embouchure change, which I would never help with because of my situation with the numbness. Most of the stuff that works for me is not going to work for anybody else. But I do, when I sit and talk trumpet with people, I do give them parts of my routine that I think will be helpful based on what they're trying to accomplish. And the thing about it is, man, is if you use it and it works, fantastic. But if it doesn't work for you, that's okay too, because there's so many different ways to skin a cat, man. It's really remarkable. 
But Jack has gone from, I think he told me, I just talked to him yesterday. Jack's gone from 240 down to 175 in about a year. And his chops are incredible and he's happy and it's cleared his head a little bit because like I said before, it can really weigh, no pun intended, heavily on your psyche to be walking in front of a plate glass wall and just hating what it's just, it never ends. It just gets a little bit better. So now if I walk in front of it a hundred times a day, there's maybe only five or six times where I go, man, you can really this and that and the other thing. And so I think that helps to keep you in a positive headspace. If you feel good on the inside, it's much easier to be nice on the outside. Again, what we talked about before, where you just never know what somebody's going through. If you're in pain, constant pain, talking about my shoulder, I knew it hurt. I couldn't, I could only lift it up about to 90 degrees. And now I got full range of motion and all that stuff, but it really hurt. And I thought it was like a two or a three until I had the operation and then was 100% with no pain. It was a six or seven for years, for five or six years. And it is difficult to maintain a positive attitude and a positive outlook and treat people nicely 100% of the time when you're in that kind of pain. So again, when you come upon somebody and they're being a jerk, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. It could just be that they're a trumpet player. We all know that. But it also could be that they're hurting from any number of circumstances. If I may, and this is deeply personal, but if you remember, I started out on a positive note with my first teacher. The numbness thing, the syringe of my ilia, was a setback for me. But it's something that I've learned over 35 years to, to cope with and deal with. And now I know that for the rest of my life, it's not going to get any better, but it's not going to get any worse. That's what my neurologist wound up telling me, which was a good thing. On October, let's see, what was July 29th, 1991, I became a father. And his name was Vincent Raymond Krzyzewski II, because I am completely unoriginal and couldn't come up with anything else. But we called him VJ, Vinny Jr. And he was a good kid. He was a musician, singer, piano player, guitar, I played saxophone in elementary school. He wound up keeping a full-time job and being part of the worship team at church. It was really cool. One time I get a call from him and he says, hey, he's probably about 19 or 20, maybe 21. He says, hey, dad, what you doing? I said, no, what's up, man? He says, I got a gig for you. I said, you got a what? He said, yeah, we want to use horns for this service. Can you grab your buddy Tyler? And here's the rehearsal and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. And that was a really proud moment for me. Very cool. My son calling me for a gig. And then we did the service and it went to terrific, of course. Really neat experience. He he worked as a prison guard for three or four years. Really tough job. And then we got him out of that and he started in the car business. He was associated with a Mazda dealership and the owner was a Christian. And so they, of any place I've ever been, they really do business. They still make money. It's still the car business. But because they're accountable to a higher power, they have a bit more of a conscience. <laughs> VJ thrived. He was making money hand over fist. The first year from when he was a prison guard to when he was a car guy, he tripled his income, which was just incredible. 
Yeah. On October 4th, 2020, VJ died in a car accident. He was 29 years old. It's only been, it's been less than three years and it's still super, super raw and painful. And grief is a very complicated thing that if they were giving out grades, if you could somehow quantify grief and they were giving out grades, I would be getting whatever's lower than an F because I suck at it. <laughs> but I miss him every day and I talk to him and, and, and love him. And I have two grandkids, Oliver and Kalia, and uh, trying to help them deal with this situation. Again, if you add all of the things up, I don't want you as a listener to compare your life to my life because they're different. I hope your life brings you as much joy and satisfaction and fulfillment as mine has. Because as a high school trumpet player in a very small town with a kind of a crappy band director, if you would have told me that when I was 60 years old, I would have played on almost 7,000 records and been on every TV show and traveled all over the world, I would have told you that you were stupid. How in the world am I going to do that? But I did. So if you're struggling and you need some inspiration, even though this might not be, it's not a positive thing. Losing your son or your dad, it's not a positive thing on any level. But if you look at what I'm doing and what I have done, given the circumstances of my life, you should be encouraged. You should be encouraged that if old Vinny can do it, because I'm not wearing a cape. I'm walking around in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. After we're done here, I'm going to cut my lawn, sweat my butt off and cut my lawn. And then I'm going to practice. And I just think that if you do get the inside of these stories and you understand what a human being can overcome, what a man or a woman can overcome and be successful on a personal and professional level, then it may help you, James, or any of the people listening, it may help you to realign how you're feeling about your situation. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing very sensitive anecdotes about your life and making them relatable to all of us listening. I'm on the edge of my seat right alongside people listening wherever they happen to be. And I have one final question for you. And yeah, man, you can take as long as you want. I mean, you can, it can be two words long, which it's up to you. But you've mentioned many times being a spiritual man. I gather that you're a Christian man. You go to a church regularly from just based on what you've said. And you've also talked about this incredible adversity that you've overcome throughout your career as a trumpeter. My question for you is, do you feel called to the trumpet? Oh, gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way the beginnings of my career happened, the things that have happened to me since I when I was high school and college and the opportunities I've been presented with, my boys in the heat and the cold sweat horns. It's the foundation of section playing, coming to Nashville, 
Actually, I moved to San Antonio, Texas for 10 months and then moved to Nashville. We were so broke we couldn't pay attention. It was rough. We were counting. We had already counted all the quarters. We were counting dimes and nickels so we could put gas in the car and buy food for the kids. It was really tough. As far as my spirituality goes, I did become a Christian when I was 12 years old, Allen Memorial Baptist Church. I'll never forget the feeling. I very soon after that, James, started to realize that organized religion in some cases is about the people and not the spirituality. And I floated through going to different churches and visiting, and I could never find a place that I was really comfortable. Moved to Nashville, almost immediately started into the contemporary Christian and gospel business. So I've been involved with the business of religion for a long time. I'll say this, 99.9% of the people that I've worked with who are Christians walk the walk, talk the talk. They're good people. They're believers. And you can see God working in their life. That 0.1%, just like everything, James, there are great trumpet players. There are good people, really great people that play trumpet. And there are bad people that play trumpet. There are good trumpet players. There are bad trumpet players and everything in the middle. Same thing with doctors, like we were talking about earlier, lawyers, teachers, presidents, whatever. There's good ones and there's crappy ones. I would say that at this point, I have a an active relationship with God, but I'm not attending church on a regular basis. And it is because I my tendency is to put my faith in human beings, which is the wrong place to put it, as we all know. But I'm let down every time. Here's what I know. I know God loves me and he made me. I know God wants me to be a good person. I'm not afraid of God. And those are my, it's very simple. And I don't say that with an ego. I say, I don't want to live in fear of God because I know that he loves me and he's going to take care of me. As far as being called to the trumpet, there are so many supernatural things that have happened in my career. That it's undeniable. Just the stories my father was very stoic, not really stoic, but the way that he showed us that he loved us was he provided for us. We just never wanted for anything. We lived in a great neighborhood. We went to great schools. If we needed clothes for school, we got them. It was not over the top, but Christmas was always a really good day. My dad would say, we're going to do a budget this year. And my mom would be, okay, honey. And then my mom, as she purchase gifts, she would put them in piles in the living room, in the Christmas living room. And a couple days before Christmas, my dad would walk through and say, is this all we got? You need to go buy the kids more gifts and forget about the budget. <laughs> and of course, my mom had already bought the gifts. All she needed to do was go upstairs to the closet and bring them down, knowing what he knew. <laughs> Gosh, I, I totally forgot where I was headed with that, but that's a very fond memory of mine. Let's see, what were we talking about, James? Oh, yeah, 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 being called to the trumpet. It's just, okay, so he, here's what it was. 
My dad and I, when I was in high school, when I was old enough to stay up late enough, we used to watch The Tonight Show together with Johnny Carson and Doc. And I can still see my dad. He's sitting in a kind of a blue-colored wing back chair, and he had his one leg folded under the other, and he had his arm up, and I was across the room to his left. And he would say it all the time. He'd say, Vinny, one day, you're going to be on that TV show. And I was like, okay, Dad, have another gin. <laughs> I said, I have no idea how to even get there. I don't even know where they film it. I don't know what you would have to do to get on that show. I have no idea. This is probably mid-late 70s. So I went to college and bummed around Baltimore and played in my R&B band and went to Nashville. Pretty quickly, I started getting some good gigs. And my first really big gig was Lyle Lovett. I played with him from 1993 until 2007. <clears throat> We're in the middle of our very first tour. This is a great story on a lot of levels. And it's a Tuesday. And we are off on Thursday. And so the road manager comes up and says, guys, we filled Thursday. We're going to go do the Tonight Show. We were in Kansas City. We jumped on a couple planes. This is when Lyle was married to Julia. And we rode over to, we flew over to LA and got there. And about halfway through the day, I called my dad on the phone. Hey, dad, what you doing? Ah, nothing. What's going on, man? I said, do you watch the Tonight Show anymore? By this time, it had changed from Johnny to Jay Leno. Man, I don't really like that that Jay Leno. I think he's a jerk. <laughs> I said, I like the show. I think he's like, nah, it's not Johnny. It's not Doc. I said, okay. Thir Thursday night, do you think maybe you could watch the show? And he's getting a little pissed. <laughs> he said, Vinny, I just told you I don't watch that show. I think he's a jerk. I don't like that guy. I said, yeah, but this one's going to be different. Oh, yeah. How's it going to be different? I said, I'm going to be on the show with Lyle. Complete silence. And then he says, that's great. And he hangs up the phone. And I'm like, dude, you're like Babe Ruth. You called your shot, right? You called. You said when I was in high school, you had 100% confidence that I was going to be on this show. Now I'm on the show, and all I get is, that's great. So for years, man, I would tell that story because it's hysterically funny. If you know my dad, it's really like him to do something like that. We never talked about it again. About 20 years later, we're at Thanksgiving dinner, and we're sitting around the table. And I'm telling the story, and I finish the story, and I look at my dad with some disgust. <laughs> and my mom says, oh, you never heard the rest of the story, did you? And my mom's like, Jerry, come on. He did a lot of that. My mom said, after he hung up the phone, he sat there and cried for 10 minutes. Now I get a little verklempt, right? <clears throat> when I tell that story, but you know, that's one of those moments where there is no doubt in anybody's mind in that entire scenario that I was supposed to be where I was. So the answer is yes, I do feel a calling to play the trumpet. Oh.
beautifully spoken, and obviously he's a bit emotional, sharing the story. TrumpetVinny.com, and it's spelled N-I-E, TrumpetVinny.com. The show notes for this episode are TrumpetDynamics.com forward slash TrumpetVinny. And uh, I think a lot of us can relate in some way or another to that last question. I, I don't even know what prompted me to ask it, but I just felt like I should ask this question and it worked out. So one of the many. It's a many. good one, man. You should, that's a keeper. You should leave that one in, man. Cause that's a, it's, it can be a very easy question to answer. But if you start to think about the details yeah. of how the trumpet has changed your life and the lives of others, yeah, it's just pretty and deep. That, when you, but when you have opportunities to leave it and you keep coming back to it, that's for me when I feel like this is something that I'm called to do. Yeah. And this absolutely. podcast, if I absolutely. didn't have this podcast, I would have walked away from it years ago, honestly. Uh, but that's why I keep doing Man, the, the cats that you get to meet and talk to is just, it's highly respected. And some of the guests that you've had, when you contacted me about coming on, I was just floored that I would be in the company of some of those human beings. And I'm deeply moved, deeply honored to be a part of this, a part of this. I thank you so much, James. I really appreciate you. We appreciate you. And it is humbling for me to be in the presence of some of the folks that have agreed to be on this show. And yeah, there's not really any good words to say other than we've just been, we've run out of superlatives, Vinny, and it's time for us to part ways. <laughs> thank you guys for listening and we're going to cut out now. All right. As promised, we're going to close today's episode featuring Vinny and the Hitmen. They're going to do Get It On. It's uh, recorded by the great Bill Chase. Oh, by the way, I've been recording a series of historical, I guess, documentaries, I guess you'd call them, episodes, very short, but they're called Trumpet Icons, trumpet players who have been with us and have now uh, left us on this earth, talking about their contributions Way that, ways that they have influenced the musical landscape that we know today. Uh, just go to trumpetdynamics.com and you'll see a link for trumpet icons. Give them a listen. I think they're pretty good. And I'd love to hear feedback on them as well. So let's go to Get It On featuring Vinny and the Hitmen. <laughs>
You better forget about it.